0: This is Pizzicato Ost, and I am Leo Jivecki. Today, I recommend a piece that is very dear to me. A piece that is not hugely popular, yet has so much character and diversity, so much to offer to the performer and listener, that it makes me very excited to think that some of you will just be first discovering it. We will talk about the suite for piano solo by Modest Mussorgsky called Pictures at an Exhibition. The original Russian name is Kartinki Vystavky. Now, a tiny detail about the pronunciation of the name. In Russian, the composer's full name with patronymic sounds Modest Petrovich Mussorgsky. In the English language, It is traditionally pronounced as Modest Mussorgsky. So I'll probably be mixing the two in my speech. So, you know, bear with me. Because eventually both options are correct. Now, I wish I had more time to talk about the life and personality of Mussorgsky. But I really don't, not in this show. We'll probably do another episode about another piece of his, a smaller one and then I'll be able to give more biography. Here I'll just say that Pictures at an Exhibition is created in June 1874 in a period of about three weeks. And from examining the letters and other biographical material about Mussorgsky, we can say that this was one of the happiest periods of his life. He was 35 at the time. To speak about pictures and exhibition, apart from mentioning the composer, we need to learn additional two names. One name that we'll be constantly mentioning here today is Vladimir Vasilievich Stasov. In a very few short words, Stasov was a critic, a supporter of the arts, a talent hunter, and sort of an older friend to many artists of the time, as well as a big hand in organizing artistic life in St. Petersburg. His main idea was that Russian art had to liberate itself from what he saw as Europe's hold. By copying the West, he felt, Russian artists could be, at best, second-rate. However, by borrowing from their own native traditions, they might create a truly national art that could match Europe's with its high artistic standards and originality. By national, Stasov meant an art that would not only portray people's lives but also be meaningful to them and show them how to live. This is kind of a a statement close to the one of Tolstoy. He was a great supporter of the Russian Five or the Mighty Handful, a musical society I've told about in the episode about Borodin. So listen to that for more information if you haven't yet. Um, because it's actually an interesting episode. All that being said, Stasov was also a very strongly opinionated character and could be quite harsh in his criticism. In his vast legacy of correspondence and articles, we see many negative reactions to such composers as Tchaikovsky or Mussorgsky at times. And when the rise of Diaghilev started in the very last few years of the 19th century, he called him, among others, a decadent cheerleader, and his magazine, The Courtyard of the Lepers. A piece that Stasov admired greatly and showed much support to was Tchaikovsky's Second Symphony. The composer played the finale of the work at a gathering at Rimsky-Korsakov's house in St. Petersburg in 1873, where Stasov first heard it. This was right before the official premiere of the entire work. Let us hear the final movement of Tchaikovsky's Second Symphony in the full orchestral version, of course, played by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under Claudio Abbado. final fourth movement of Tchaikovsky's Second Symphony was played by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra under Claudio Abbado on a recording from 1985. Now, the second name we need to remember is Viktor Alexandrovich Hartmann. Now, this is really a name that would have been long forgotten if not for his part in our recommended piece, uh, Pictures at an Exhibition. Hartman was a painter, an architect, an engineer, and what we would now call a product designer. He was active in a direction of design quite popular in the second half of the 19th century, namely the neo-national style, in our case, the neo-Russian style. Decor inspired by national elements that could be found in Old wood carvings and tapestries and various ancient patterns, this all was the main theme in his work. Now Stasov, who was a great supporter of progress and national ideas in the arts, is supportive of both Hartmann and Modest Mussorgsky, who by then had already created some great examples of the Russian style in music. It is in Stasov's house that the two young men, uh, Mussorgsky and Hartman, meet in 1870. Hartman was 36. He was full with creative strength and energy. He'd just gotten back home after a long trip through Italy and France, where he'd gone to master his skills this was by the way supported by a scholarship from the Academy of the Arts he um, gets some serious projects in St. Petersburg and gets a name for himself in influential circles now as time showed Hartman was not a great artist or a pioneer of any sorts but he and Mussorgsky have gotten very close and Hartmann's sudden death only three years later, in August 1873, from an aneurysm, shook Mosorsky significantly. Hartmann was only 39. Stasov helped to um, organize a memorial exhibition of over 400 works of Hartmann in the Imperial Academy of the Arts in St. Petersburg in February and March 1874. This was what the artist had created over 15 years or so. Oil and watercolor paintings, architectural projects, set and costume designs for the stage, nature sketches, product designs like clocks, candlesticks, toys, and so on. A full catalog of the exhibition was properly made by the Academy of the Arts, I am going into such detail here because, as you may have already figured out, the exhibition, the Hartman exhibition, was the inspiration and the basis for the work, the Mussorgsky work, Pictures at an Exhibition. The name came later, though. Initially, it was titled Hartmann. Now, of course, it's really fun to compare the actual visual image From the exhibition with the musical piece it's produced, it really helps us follow the composer's thought and imagination. This being said, we also have to mention that the posthumous Hartman exhibition was also a sale, so the further life of most of the works is unknown, and some still might pop up someday. The other source of information we have to try and reimagine the missing Hartmann works was a note that Stasov wrote as a preface to the first edition of Musorsky's Pictures and an Exhibition" in 1886. But this was 12 years after the event, the actual exhibition, and how accurate it is, we'll never know unless the works miraculously reappear one day. Besides, when we compare Stasov's description to the, the one in the official catalog, we clearly see that the music of Musorsky has influenced Stasov's memory quite a bit. It often is much more poetic and based on the music than on the actual images he had seen over a decade before. The pictures were mostly quick, simple travel sketches, sort of a 19th century snapshots. Landscapes, portraits, basic life scenes. Stasov, in his preface to the second edition of the piece in 1887, writes the following. Brisk, graceful sketches of a genre painter. An array of scenes, types, figures from everyday life, captured from what was boiling around the painter, on the streets and in churches, in the Parisian catacombs and Polish monasteries, in the side streets of Rome, and in the villages of Limoges. Workers in their habits, and a priest riding a donkey with an umbrella under his arm, Praying old French women, smiling Jews wearing a yarmulke, Parisian cloth merchants, donkeys rubbing against a tree, landscapes with a picturesque ruin, wonderful distant views of faraway towns. Now, let us start with the actual piece. The composer gave each movement an individual name, and these represent a variety of languages. I will be giving the original name for each, accompanied by a translation, if necessary, of course. The first number is called Promenade, so a French name. Let's first listen to it and then discuss. For illustrating the pictures and exhibition, I'll be using one recording because switching from one to the other, and telling you at least a few words about each pianist might be too much information. I must admit, I don't have a recording of the piece that I find ideal. For this episode, I've listened to at least a dozen to refresh my memory or discover new material. And while in the end I will talk about different versions and recommend a few recordings... For our show, we'll be using a relatively fresh version from the album Kaleidoscope, made in 2016, by Khatia Bunyatishvili. This also features works by Ravel and Stravinsky. Now let's go to the first number, Promenade. first piece of a cycle usually identifies the whole piece, shows its main ideas. The promenade is a recurring theme that we come back to throughout the piece. Stasov explained that the promenade illustrates the viewer's transition from one picture to another. In a letter, Musorsky says, my face is to be seen in these interludes. We hear an image full of space and light. It's a very typical Russian folk song structure featuring the pentatonic scale. The eight bars opening the cycle are sort of a song verse sung by a mid-range female voice, the mezzo-soprano folk choir soloist singing with a very open folk sound. That's how I I imagine it, at least. Then come the chords on the piano, representing the choir, which is such a typical Russian folk structure. If you remember, we've noticed the same structure when we talked about uh, Shostakovich's use of Russian songs in his 11th symphony. We have the fifth episode uh, of our show dedicated to, to that piece. But this uh, first promenade here also partially reminds us of a chorus, the Slava, the Glory Chorus, uh, that Mussorgsky uses in his opera Boris Godunov, that had just premiered a few months before um, Pictures at an Exhibition was written. Let's hear a piece of that. a tiny snippet from Mussorgsky's opera Boris Godunov with the chorus and orchestra of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow conducted by Mark Ermler Um, I think you hear the similarity of this choral structure with the promenade we've heard before another bit this reminds me of a lot is part of another great piano cycle Tchaikovsky's The Seasons which definitely deserves um, an episode of its own, and I'm sure this is coming at some point. And I've also mentioned it a few times in our previous um, shows. Um, But now um, here is July, Song of the Reaper from Tchaikovsky's The Seasons. I mean, you can distinctly hear the similarity, right? We've heard um, July from Tchaikovsky's The Seasons, coming from a recording I didn't know of before, actually. It was made in 2017 by the wonderful Russian pianist Nikolai Lugansky. So the promenade in the pictures from an exhibition is the subject of variations throughout the suite, changing keys and rhythmic structure all the time. Aside from being an introduction and a first entrance to the exhibition and showing us a broad Russian spirit, the first promenade also sort of introduces the composer with his broad, open gaze and calm, secure, uneven pace. This is partially due to the constant change of rhythm almost in every bar. Stasov comments it like this, In this piece, Mussorgsky depicts himself roving through the exhibition, now leisurely, now briskly, in order to come close to a picture that had attracted his attention, and at times, sadly, thinking of his departed friend. From here, we come to the second piece, the gnomus in Latin, or the gnome. Before we start with the actual pictures, the promenade was not a picture, but sort of an introduction, I'll say that um, the suite has 10 picture movements. We have the Hartman works for only a part of them. Now, if you follow us on Instagram, I highly recommend to follow our post on the Pictures of an Exhibition when listening to this episode. If you don't, you can Google it yourself or just subscribe to our Instagram now. It is pizzicato ost, all in one word. In this post, we'll show all of the corresponding Hartmann works that have survived and that we have available. The gnome is not one of them, so here still there's nothing to look at. The image here is a design sketch for a Christmas tree decoration. It is thought to represent a design for a nutcracker displaying his large teeth, a classical item used for such decorations. Mussorgsky really brings this object to life and shows us this mysterious dark creature. This is achieved partially by using a somber key of E-flat minor. The lurching music in contrasting tempos with frequent stops and starts suggests the uh, movements of this gnome. And while the creature is scary and bizarre, we still know somehow that it's only a toy. Stasov's comment to the piece, a sketch depicting a little gnome clumsily running with crooked legs. I must admit, this is one of my favorite numbers from the pictures. Since it has so much character and literally awakens your imagination, it's interesting that um, some researchers see here a tragic line the death of the gnome or the tragedy of a disformed person. And yeah, well, why not? this this is you know a, one of the great things of interpreting music and if this is not piano jazz in the 1870s then i don't know what is honestly i mean these chords here listen Oh, and if this music sounds strangely familiar, try to think whether you've recently re-watched The Big Lebowski. That might be a hint. It is also um, fun to compare this to a piece by the Norwegian composer Edvard Grieg called March of the Trolls. The similarity is obvious even in the title, but the character of the music is also quite different. Listen to this. March of the Trolls, sometimes translated also as March of the Gnomes or of the Dwarves, is part of Grieg's uh, lyric pieces and his Opus 54, number 3. We've just heard it played by Andrei Gavrilov. Back with Mussorgsky, after the Gnome, we are on a promenade again. And the first verse... No longer sounds like a mezzo-soprano is singing it, but rather a baritone. The movement gets slower, the steps rarer, bringing us to the next picture. But first, Promenade 2. just had our second promenade and are facing the Vecchio Castello. Yes, Italian title now, the Old Castle. If we turn to the exhibition catalogue, we find uh, two sketches of medieval French castles. None of the two is currently available, but the assumption is that the music is not based on any specific one of the two. Stasov's comment a medieval castle before which a troubadour sings a song. But this comment is only to be taken as one subjective reading of the music. Andantino molto cantabile e con dolore is the marking of the piece. Rather slow, very songlike and sorrowful. A calm, sad melody slowly pours accompanied by the pulsating bass line. It does sound very much like a simple song with phrases consisting of uneven words in each separate verse. You can hear that. And the length of each verse is pretty much like the length of a human spoken phrase, like breath, plus the typical old French accompaniment, like an old folk instrument. In the middle section, we have a lighter more optimistic harmony but that is quickly gone the singing slowly fades away as if it were sort of a distant shot and the camera slowly zooming out and we can only hear the rhythm and no more song only a sudden clear phrase marks kind of an adieu to the picture I guess this number can be really interpreted very individually, but it is for sure a very theatrical, a very visual image. The first sound of the third promenade repeats the last of the old castle, thus making a natural connection to the parallel major key. This walk is much shorter, though, Following two phrases, we're facing the next picture. Short promenade is done, and we're in Tuileries, and the piece is titled in French, Tuileries, dispute d'enfants après jeu. Tuileries, children's choral after games. Stasov's comment, an avenue in the garden of Tuileries with a swarm of children and nurses. This is a happy, sunny picture of nature, childhood, happiness and fun a bright major key and a bouncy rhythm serve to create the image of playing children but this is also a quarrel the melody is developing dynamically going up to high ringing tones whereas the bass broadens the scale and enlarges this conflict the melodic phrases lose stability and become shorter. This is emotions escalating fast. But soon the innocent kitty quarrel is interrupted by the reasoning grown-ups, the nannies. We hear them in their calm middle register and their repetitive, peaceful phrases. The kids though temporarily distracted by the nannies, slowly lose focus and go back to play. the old castle, this is already the second French sketch. But unlike the previous one, it doesn't try to imitate the French style. A scene just like this could have taken place in the summer garden in St. Petersburg. By the way, Mussorgsky had never been abroad. Now, for the first time, we have no promenade between two pictures. I always say to myself, Okay, these two were hanging next to each other. But we don't really know why Mussorgsky decides to connect the two pieces. In any case, we move to Bydło. That's Polish for ox cart or the cattle. It varies in different translations. We're transferred into a completely different sphere. Heavy bases... Heavy, slow movement, heavy, thick melody. This is a Polish cart with huge wheels pulled by oxen. No item in the exhibition catalog corresponds with this description, so it's another mystery of the piece. We hear a very vivid musical description of this heavy peasant cart. Accompanying it is a simple village song. This is probably the driver of the cart. There is no specific sadness to the song. It is more strict and joyless in character, kind of like the life of the peasant himself. And While it's very specific in its depiction of the scene, it also has the traits of representing a whole harsh, masculine, monotonous lifestyle. The music uses elements typical for Polish, Ukrainian, and Russian folklore. In the original Mussorgsky manuscript, the movement starts with a fortissimo, straight in your face, as a strong contrast to to Rhi. Later revisions, namely by Rimsky-Korsakov, start the piece softly, slowly coming nearer to the cart and reaching a climax later. Pianists choose to play different versions, And this is sometimes uh, also interesting to pay attention to. Here, just to see the contrast, are the first few bars, again, played by Khatia Bunyatishvili, and then the same few bars played by Gary Grafman. Well, very different concept, right? Most pianists nowadays prefer to play according to the original manuscript, but that was not known in print until only a few decades ago, and I think it doesn't make the recordings where the revised version is used any worse. Gary Grafman, whom we just heard on a recording from 1962, is an interesting character, not such a well-known name today. This year, the American pianist turns 93. He uh, practically left the stage in the late 1970s when he seriously injured his right hand. Despite that, he was able to perform some works for the left hand, some specifically composed for him. It is also interesting to notice how the accompaniment making heavy steps based on these empty octave chords, partnering with the lamenting motive is almost identically similar to what Chopin uses in his famous B-flat minor funeral march, the third movement of his second piano sonata. I mean, Chopin and Mussorgsky. Okay, Slavic origins, a Polish piece, a general romantic vision, but still, not really an obvious pairing, is it? We've just heard the beginning of the third movement of Chopin's Piano Sonata Number no. 2, played by Maurizio Polini, winner of the Chopin Competition of 1960. Now, in the ox cart, even more than previously in the Gnome and the Old Castle, Mussorgsky uses this wonderful zoom in, zoom out effect. From rather close in the beginning, the melody comes even closer, but then distances itself again, and um, we only hear the monotonous spinning of the wheels and distant fragments of the song. A similar effect was also used by Borodin in his piece In the Steps of Central Asia. I've mentioned this episode here already, so I'm not going to do that again. The next promenade starts with a pause, sort of taking a breath before the next largely contrasting piece. This time, the promenade resembles sort of a chorale, It's the first time the promenade takes a a minor key. Maybe to show us that the viewer slash composer has changed his mood. But um, the sad mood is abruptly stopped by the next picture. Its first sounds burst into the promenade, actually, as if the viewer caught the picture with the corner of his eye at first. the fourth promenade and the picture that follows actually had survived. Hooray! It is time to turn to Instagram and open picture number three of the post. This is a costume sketch for an obscure ballet called Trilbi that was running in St. Petersburg at the time. The composer of the ballet, a certain Gerber, was also a violinist and a conductor, as well as the music inspector of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow. In 1874, at the Bolshoi, he gave two concerts titled Russian Opera Scenes Not Yet Performed in Moscow. These included excerpts from Mussorgsky's Boris Godunov, which had really not yet been staged in Moscow by that time. So in Gerber's ballet, there was a scene meant for the young students of the theater academy, where they were spread through the stage wearing canary yellow costumes, some still kind of partially in their eggshell. In the Hartman picture, they really lack grace, unlike in their incarnation in the Mussorgsky music. This is called... Now in Russian, балет невылупившихся птенцов. The ballet of the unhatched chicks. All this chirping and tweeting repeat without change twice in its light childish spirit this number reminds us of the other kids in Tuileries. both are scherzos both are bright dynamic scenes and in neither of the two does the composer use his zoom in zoom out effect it is as if we're opening a door and seeing the scene already in action. From the dancing chicks, again with no promenade, we move on to the next picture, now titled in Yiddish, Samuel Goldenberg und Schmuele, otherwise known as the two Jews, rich and poor. Also, if you analyze it a bit, Um, Samuel and Shmuel are actually the same name, just that one is the full respectful form of it, plus with a proper rich surname, Goldenberg, while the other is a nickname, a simplified version of the same. This is based on two pictures that were given to Mussorgsky by Hartmann and temporarily given by Mussorgsky to the exhibition. You can see them as pictures 4 and 5 in the Instagram post. In the music, we clearly hear the representation of the one person, then the other, then a contrasting duet of the two, taking a very exciting polyphonic shape. When I look at the pictures, nicely done as they are, I see no character or story behind these figures. Mussorgsky, in these few minutes of music, really brings them to life. Here comes the rich Jew, Samuel Goldenberg. Not only a character, but rather a type. Confident, dignified, full of himself. He appears with a commanding, derogative mode. His voice is low and thick, a proper bass baritone. And his melody is based on the basic tonal sounds of the key, so sounds very natural and grounded. Mussorgsky uses a very characteristic row of intonations that sounds unmistakably Jewish. <laughs> Contrasting to the rich Jew, steps in the poor Jew shmoile His speech is hasty, all in the higher register, and his phrase is based on the ending of the rich Jew's sentence. Yes, yes, you are right. Anything you say, sir. Something like that. It's a speech of a weak flatterer. I always imagine him dragging along behind the rich Jew asking him to lend him some money and telling him of some business idea he has that could make him and his future creditor rich. All of his sentences are exactly the same length as if having no development. now that we know both characters, they come to speak simultaneously. The rich Jew is transposed an octave lower, which adds him even more might and confidence, while the poor Jew is still trembling in the high register and trying to put in his two cents. And the final words, of course, are the rich Jews, putting an end to the conversation and to the scene. Now, we're back with the promenade as a nearly bar-for-bar restatement of the opening promenade, thus making sort of an intermission, a transition from Act 1 to Act 2. Here, we'll make a stop for now, and we'll finish talking about the piece in our next episode. For now, I say goodbye, and I let Khatia Bunyati Shvili play the last promenade of today's show. Remember, we will be back with more Mussorgsky next time.